Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Patriots, Bills. Wow. <laughs> that was a snoozer, wasn't it? Wow. I, I, My I eyes were kind of anyone who's here. off that a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't be watching a, a Patriots post-game show right now, but I, I wouldn't blame you if you're not. Um, this was over extremely early, a really tough game to watch. Almost, if you were writing one of those, yeah, three up, three down sort of columns right now, what would you do? Run game up, everything else down. I, I suppose Run game up for like a quarter for until the first they abandoned half. it. Right. And, and, you know, the score and all that kind of stuff, you have to, if you're down three touchdowns. You're not going to keep running the ball into a brick wall. I mean, obviously you're going to try to throw the football, but I just think that there tonight was, you know, sort of a microcosm of all the issues that they have on both sides of the football, the roster deficiencies, the quarterbacking problems, the receiver problems. But I think the main thing when you look at the quarterback, and and I know some people think we harp too much on the quarterback. Some people think we don't give enough blame to the quarterback. I think the main thing that you really look at with the quarterback position in Cam Newton is that there's just a lack of improvement week to week, right? It just He's not getting any better within the structure of the offense. It's not necessarily – going through every single throw and nitpicking ball placement and was it accurate, was it not accurate, was it a drop, was the receiver in the right spot? No, it's just the the big picture things about playing the quarterback position, knowing when a blitz is coming and knowing where your answer is to that blitz off of that, you know, uh, setting your feet and making a throw there before the half to Nikhil Harry instead of throwing off of one foot and sort of jump passing it down the field, you know, things like that. I think Even are the touchdown Evan was a result of not feeling pressure that easily right. could have been a sack. Yeah, and I think that those are the sort of things that more so than pick, nitpicking every single throw and studying ball placement and trying to tag it as an accurate throw or an inaccurate throw, it's the big picture things that are really m- more of a struggle in terms of, like you said, awareness, pocket awareness, awareness of pressure, awareness of blitzes. You know, that first, that second, third down uh, that Cam Newton took a 13-yard sack on, he has the answer against the blitz on Demir Bird on a shallow crosser. That's his hot, right? When the blitz comes, he sees the blitz. That's where he's, his eyes are supposed to go immediately. Instead, he's staring down the left side of the field trying to let those deeper passing concepts past the sticks develop, and the blitz is coming at right at him, and he doesn't really re- react to it. And, and I think that that's, you know, just one thing that you keep on seeing with him every single week is that lack of reaction to pressure, that lack of feel for where his answers are. It's just a whole lot of the same mistakes over and, and over again. And that's what's infuriating is I'm tired of listening to you say that. Like, yeah, and it's not because you're wrong. It's because you've said it every week because that's been the case every week. When you talk about no improvement, you're talking he's either been flat or shown regression uh, you know, over some weeks, week to week, in, in in all of those things that you mentioned, and I think this is where people are losing their minds. Here is I don't believe, and and put me in this category. I do not want to see Jared Stidham play because I think Jared Stidham is better than Cam Newton. I just can't watch this anymore. It, right. It's it's, fr- it's 
you know what from a development standpoint you know what this is you know what you've got okay so you're not learning anything and 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 really just from a from an aesthetic standpoint it's it's ugly it's hard to watch and we keep seeing you've seen it over and over again so you're almost getting frustrated watching that lack of improvement the lack of progression and in fact in many ways uh, the longer it goes on the more you see that his uh, how many flaws uh are there are in his game and it just hammers home the point that it's obviously and again i think you know, you grudgingly came to this conclusion maybe last week, or even though you've been trending there most of the way, but you've been giving him as as fair a shot as anybody out there, which is there's some good in there too, and it's not all on him. And you finally came to the conclusion, I believe, last week that they can't, they know they can't go forth with with Cam. No. Um, so I don't, for the life of me, understand the logic in playing him in tonight's game. Because again, it's not that. just you're never going to learn a thing about Stidham putting him in relief down a bunch of points. If you want to learn anything at all, you have to give him a week's worth of reps and let him run the offense in a game that starts 0 0. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't, I tweeted out some people agree with me, some people don't. I kind of thought Stidham was worse in this game in a lot of ways than Cam. Sure. But you again, know, one, of, one of the biggest look things what he's with, up against. Right. And, and he, that's the biggest thing, though, is that he is coming into these games cold, down four touchdowns already. And what can you really expect out of it, uh, any player in that position? But I think the biggest thing that you see with Stidham is a, is a lot of the same issues that you see with Cam. I mean, he dirted a bunch of throws out there, too, and skip passes and stuff like that, bounce pass. Uh, throwing into defenders leverage instead of out away from the leverage you know that second throw that he had after the long Myers completion where the middle of the field just opened up like you know the the parting the Red Sea for him that was an easy pass that any you know high school quarterback could have made and he comes back on the next throw and he throws right into the defenders leverage and almost throws an interception it just reading out leverage is making leverage based throws is just such a simple part of quarterbacking that, you know, any NFL starting quarterback should be able to be able to see, okay, you know, the defender there has got inside leverage on this throw. I can't throw an in breaking route against an inside leverage corner. Cause I'm throwing into the defender's body and into his, you know, uh, area to kind of intercept the pass. But I think mainly what you see with both of these quarterbacks is neither one of them are really the answer. But secondly, in terms of kind of just evaluating this, this team, if you're going to put any quarterback in there, we, we can talk about all of this. We can talk about Trey Lance. We can talk about Zach Wilson. We can talk about Justin Fields. Uh, we can talk about Mac Jones and Kyle Trask and go around right Stafford and all the NFL quarterbacks. If they don't improve the roster around the QB at the wide receiver and tight end position, I don't care who you put back there. It's not going to matter all that much. No doubt. But last week, uh, near the end of our postgame show, we, we talked quite a bit about how what they should do in the draft. And, I, you know, I was saying the guy, I would I would just load up on weapons uh, and dress it again and again and again and again, both in free agency and multiple times in the draft. If Pitts is there when it's your turn to draft, take him, right. then go receiver, then sign a free agent receiver. And, and you were saying, well, you need the quarterback. So we're in a real chicken and egg sort of spiral here uh, with, 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 with the situation. They need both. They have to address both simultaneously. Uh, the problem is when you make, I think you can uh, get weapons and stockpile 
because they're available, but they're always available right. in the draft and there's a ton available in free agency, but you pick wrong at the quarterback position, you, you might be stuck into a long-term contract or a, you draft the wrong guy desperately. You know, you take a Haskins type person uh, who you're not in love with, but it's the best available when you're picking and you've got to develop them for a few years. And that can set you back a couple of years, which is why for me, I, I, I have to think they got to go for weapons first because you can get them. And then, I, maybe it's another stopgap gear with a quarterback. Maybe you're waiting for a year or two until the guy arrives. But the last thing you want to do is rush into a situation where you trade for somebody or give a long-term contract to a person who is a slight upgrade, who's still not going to get you where you need to go. And that's sort of been my, you know, kind of this take on this entire situation is, yeah, we can go and we can turn on, on Sunday's action. And I watched football on Thursday, Friday and Sunday this week before this Patriot game on Monday night. And I just was sitting there thinking to myself, man, the wide receiver, the passing game play overall wide receiver, tight end quarterback, all of it, even pass protection in a long way, a lot of ways is just so much worse here in New England versus anything that we see in the rest of the NFL. I mean, really almost any team, like you can go and turn on the jets last week and they, and Sam Darnold and those receivers are making plays, you know, they're better off than what the Patriots are at right now. And that's the jets who a lot of teams or a lot of people thought were going to be the worst team in the league. It just right on down the line of, of what, whether it's, it's such a chicken or the egg thing, because it, it, sometimes it's a weapon. Sometimes it's cam, you know, they scheme up that double, pass early on in the game they run the two crack toss plays they get the entire bills defense to bite on the double pass and demir bird just drops a wide open touchdown right i mean that's not on cam the ball is the ball is right there you know yep. that's, that's a great pass or a good pass i wouldn't call it a great pass so given the situation but yeah, it, i mean it floated right a tad but still right it, it's a very catchable ball right yeah, that should right have been there. yeah and he drops it i mean what are you going to do about that? And then Bill Belichick was asked at halftime, what can you do better with your passing offense? And he said, catch the ball. So it felt like Bill kind of put a lot of the first half struggles on the receivers, not catching the ball instead of on cam, but it's timing. It's, it's, execution it's just overall just kind of feel in the offense and feel for the game that cam Newton and his pass catchers, all of them alike have not been able to grasp all season long and it's just been such a great i mean they can't even execute slant flat that's like day one install of middle school football you know we're not talking about just nfl football you run one guy in the flat you run one guy on the slant the quarterback reads the underneath defender if he goes to the flat he throws the slant if he goes to the slant he throws the flat it's literally the simplest play in football from a passing game standpoint and they have issues executing that i mean that that's all you really need to know about this patriots offense right now yeah, and that's I mean it's it's just all sorts of bad. Um yeah. I, I don't even know where to it's it's really hard to evaluate anything else uh, uh throughout the game like I mean we could sit here and say, "Oh, Nikhil Harry, where was he again?" But again, one time he got open, uh, another time uh Cam bounced a, you know, bounced the right. ball to him. So I, I don't know what you do there. You you're not going to put it on him. I would say that Devin Asiasi uh maybe should have stayed on IR. Uh, this was a really rough game for him in a lot of different ways. Um, Pretty sure he's been targeted five times in the passing game, has four drops or something like that. Yeah, and again, it just it's one of the throws two, here was a little bit late, and and uh, and uh, and, yeah. the, and somebody was uh, a safety or linebacker was coming over, yeah. anticipating it. That wasn't great, but you're right. That uh, missing a block uh, on on a sack as well. Um, just 
doesn't look right out there. And again, he, he needs to get to year two as fast as anybody. Uh, but really, there's not much you can evaluate off of this game. You're just kind of stuck in this. And nothing's going to be cured if next week Stidham starts and you see a little bit out of something. Uh, this just needs a whole lot of fixing. And that's the other thing, too, is that they've they've gotten such poor play by the entire team including the quarterbacks is, is but just particularly with the quarterbacks you don't even know what you have in a lot of these rookie tight ends or Nikhil Harry really or any of these guys because there's just no continuity there's no chemistry there's no rhythm to their passing game there's no you know sharpness at all to it so how do I mean I, I don't think Devin Asiasi is necessarily you know going to be some star tight end but how do we even really know you know, I, I don't even know how you can properly evaluate some of these younger players right now because this is just such a mess. And I, I, I just I think that that is as much of a detriment to Cam or Stidham or anybody as anything is that, hey, next year you can bring in somebody like an Alex Smith or a Ryan Fitzpatrick who probably are still only going to get you to about seven or eight wins anyways. But at least the, there's going to be some sort of professionalism to this passing game where you might actually learn a thing or two about the weapons around the quarterback. Right. And you can't now you can't you can't have Cam with his bad timing, you know, not 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 putting people in a position to succeed or not hitting them when they do come open and give him an opportunity to make a play. Can't have Stidham coming in cold down 25 points and expect right. anything to happen here. I, again, it's just it, 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 it's such a debacle at this point. It, it, it just it, it's just a place I no Patriots fan has been uh, for for for, you know, 25 30 I mean pre-drew it's a really long time uh to, to to be in this situation where you have no idea what's going on at the quarterback position it's almost again it feels like a broken record it's it's during the Brady era you always knew hey don't take this for granted okay the rest of the world operates in this really weird gray area where they don't know they're always looking for that next quarterback and they get one and it's not that guy and they have to live through mediocrity for a few years until they get another guy and find out that person's not the guy. And right now you're at the very beginning of that phase. And it is very weird because it's not, you don't just decide you need a quarterback and then get a quarterback. It could be years and years and years or a generation before you get a guy, forget a Tom Brady replacement before you get a guy that you're like, Oh, that's our guy, you know? Uh, and so th that's, what's so that's what's so scary right now. I think for people is, even when you finally accept that you need it. And again, a lot of people hit that realization last year and were shocked that they didn't make a move for a quarterback. Can Everyone drank the Kool-Aid, was convinced that Stidham was the guy based on whatever intel was coming out of Foxborough. I don't know why. Uh, and then some desperation signing with Cam Newton that nobody wanted to sign obviously showed how, how, how what rough shape they were in with this with this position. So again, it's... You're right. You have to do something, <laughs> even if only to improve a little. I think that you're right. And, and the troubling thing, I think, is is that to me, you know, a lot of people talk about the coaching and the play calling and this, that, and the other thing, and they look out coached every week and all that type of stuff. But I, I just really feel like the personnel is so – they're so short in personnel right now that I'm not really – 
sure what you want the coaches to do schematically to change what they're doing out there, right? The run game is really nice by the Patriots right now. They run a bunch of different styles of runs, different types of runs, shotgun, under center, fullback in the backfield, option runs with Cam Newton. They do a bunch of different things in the ground game. Their passing game, they can't execute, like I said, middle school, high school level stuff. They can't execute it. So I don't know what more, you know, kind of spicing up and things like that you really expect them to be able to do when they can't do the basic day one one install type of stuff defensively and there's a lot of issues on that side of the ball too yep. that i don't want to ignore getting and worse I, and worse yeah and I, I think that the main thing that you have to look at though is that these coaches and the scheming and all that kind of stuff I, that's not the issue here the issue here starts at the top with bill belichick and nick Casario and player and talent evaluation and getting guys in here to play that's why they are struggling so much on all three phases today really all three phases had issues that's not really on the fact that they, you know, the coaching in game is the game plans and the schemes and the, what they're drawing up on the whiteboard. It, it's not that, you know, that that's too, we're getting too into the weeds when we start to blame that kind of stuff. When you have a team that's staring right at you, big picture wise saying they do not have the talent that other teams have across the board in a lot of different spots. So uh, mainly I, I want to move over to the defense side of the ball too, though, because sure. I think we're talking a ton and rightfully so about, the quarterbacks and the offensive side of the ball, but defensively, I think what you're seeing, first of all, is you got to give Stefan Gilmore some credit, right? I mean, he's clearly a, a different type of level of player from JC Jackson. I like JC Jackson. I wrote about him this weekend. He's had amazing coverage stats since he entered the league. One of yeah. the best coverage corners in the league, according to just the metrics, right? Passer rating into his coverage, interceptions, that that type of stuff. But with second that they have put him in the last couple of times that they've had to put him in that number one spot with Gilmore injured, He's not played well. Stephon Diggs has really outplayed him in two games this year. Rashad Perryman outplayed him against the Jets. It was really just that Ravens game, and the Ravens don't have any receivers that really scare you at all. He's the that was the only game where he really held his own as the number one guy. So they're in a point there, I think, with with Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, that you really have a big drop off in your secondary yeah. hierarchy when Gilmore is not in there. And if you're talking about trading Gilmore or moving on from Gilmore because of his contract situation, that's a big problem too, right? I mean, that that's going to be a big problem. Their pass rush basically only gets home when they scheme it up, which means that they have to rush four or five to run a game or a stunt up front or blitz the quarterback or something like that to get pressure, which obviously exposes you in the back end in different ways. You know, the play that uh, JC Jackson gave up uh, the touchdown, the long touchdown to Diggs, that was just a play action pass. They sucked the linebackers up. They only had three guys deep. The deep safety had to take the post route over the top and there's just nobody else there. And JC just, you know, tries to undercut it and try to, instead of trying to just recover and make the tackle, he tries to undercut it and go for the interception and Josh Allen threads the knee needle and it's a 50 yard touchdown. Those are not Stephon Gilmore doesn't make a play like that. So, he doesn't try to take that chance. He and, goes out there and he just makes the tackle and lives to play another down. And there's no question. It's, I think I saw the, the, I think the stat was uh, it's four games without Gilmore. Jackson's given up four touchdown passes. Gilmore's given up four touchdown passes in his last 37 or 38 games or something along those lines. So again, that's the level and the difference there when you're talking about bumping up and chasing around that number one receiver. And it started so well, not just that, that, push and shove down the sideline yeah, where they were great. chirping. He, yeah. he was all over him, uh, but uh, just 
on that on that underneath route there where uh, he tried to get inside leverage and that was it looked like he hesitated that was a weird one um yeah. i mean he just got beat a couple times there's there's, there's, there's nothing to it other than that um, and Diggs is one of the best receivers in football and is probably the hottest receiver in football right now and allen's probably the hottest quarterback in the nfl right now but i think what you saw was just the hierarchy of that secondary really takes a massive hit when Gilmore yep. isn't in there. And then second, they still cannot cover the middle of the field. You know, they can't cover the middle of the field. There's no help to the middle of the field. You have that the big long touchdown I just broke down from JC Jackson against uh, Diggs. There's no help to the inside. He's got outside leverage. He's funneling the receiver inside. There's nobody underneath it. There's nobody cutting the crossing route. There's nobody there, and it's just easy pickings for Allen and Diggs. And then once you know uh, J.C. Jackson undercuts it and he doesn't get there, then there's just nobody behind him to make that tackle, right? So it just – Time and time again, you see that. You see the corners taking risks when they don't need to take the risk. You see there's no help towards the middle of the field. Uh, it's just that is just a, a breakdown in how the system is supposed sure. to be run. And that's not the system is not broken. Like the Patriots system is not broken. It's still sound. It still can get the job done. But you need the players in those positions to be able to execute it. All right, we need to take a quick pause to tell everybody about our sponsor, betonline.ag, our exclusive wagering partner. NFL football continues on. Few surprise teams at the top of the standings. And while you might not be able to be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. No matter how schedules change or which players play or don't play, BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest, updated odds in the industry. There's always more options to wager than anywhere right here at BetOnline. So head to BetOnline today, that's betonline.ag, and take advantage of all the great midseason bonuses, offers, and contests. Just use the code CLNS50 for 50% back on your first deposit. Once again, CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You do, but... You know, it's this is again. It's 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 hard to know this, but the this just doesn't happen. Okay, you've got a twenty-seven and a twenty-nine point home loss in the books for the Patriots this season. This I don't know if personnel is an obvious issue, but at some point you also come down to compete level, and I don't know. I I don't know. If it's, I, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. It's just, it's so shocking to see a Patriots team outclassed in, in a way you wouldn't have thought imaginable a few months ago. And to have it happen multiple times this year in games where they've been non competitive. And then this game, just to be not competitive at all, despite personnel, uh, is, is a really surprising thing. And you saw everyone saw Bill Belichick and tweeted the hell out of him slamming the phone. And that was obviously, what the hell did you have me challenge that for sort of situation. But right. he's frustrated as hell. He's embarrassed. Um, and I, yeah, don't know. I thought later in the game was more telling. And I, I don't know if they caught this. Pacing. Yeah, he was alone on the, le- on the sideline, away it's from the entire team for a good five minutes, just pacing up and down the sideline and obviously nobody is is going to go near him when he's in in that kind of zone right you don't want to you don't want to rock the boat but it just sort of looked like a guy that just has tried to throw 
every single thing that he has worked on in his 30 years as a, as a head coach in this and league or whatever. Working. And none of it is working. You know, he's tried man, he's tried zone, he's tried blitzing, he's tried dropping it into coverage. He's tried literally everything in his, in his playbook, everything in his arsenal. And the players just haven't been able to find something that they can hang their hat on and execute whether it's offensively with the passing game or defensively really in any way all season long, they just have nothing that they can grasp into. And the secondary was supposed to be that. And it just kind of hasn't, you know, gotten there yet. And that's why I ask is again, I don't know whether it's just a, you know, bless their hearts. They're just not that good at football situation right. or I can't re or again, everyone remembers that famous clip in that uh, 2009 um, saints beat down in Foxborough when Bill's talking to Brady and the open mic. And it's, I, I, I just don't know how to reach these guys. I don't, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know what to do with these guys. I don't know if he's hit back in that place uh, where right. I, there's nothing I can do with this team, whether it's just based off of the personnel, which again is personnel that, largely he has provided and obviously you had the massive COVID exodus and you're dealing with injuries as well but this is Bill's team um you know he he this he built it uh yeah. and it, it is broken yeah and he built it I mean this obviously wasn't the team he built like let's be fair no it's not, not happened and, and things happened that that transpired to lead us to this level of mediocrity you know if Dante Hightower is in this defense then I think it's a lot different than what we're talking about here but at the same time I I think that what you see from Bill Belichick's team is that for years especially on the defensive side of the ball he's been able to plug in the Therese Halls and plug in the John Simons and those types of players that other teams might look at it as you know fourth or fifth guys on the depth chart but instead you know they're guys that are that are you know in starting roles on this team and that's not what they were supposed to be penciled in at the beginning right you know john simon's supposed to be a role player uh, right. Hall is supposed to be a depth guy you know these guys are playing way too much exactly and i think that that's a little bit of it too but at the same time i just want to you know harp on the fact that if you want to if you want to get on the coaching staff for and don't leave leave Josh McDaniels and Steve Belichick and those guys out of this like that, that that's not the issue you're you're missing you know the forest through the trees here right the forest is is that the Bill Belichick has put together a team that is too deficient personnel wise and talent wise in too many areas for even him to overcome it from a scheme and coaching and technique standpoint there's just too many holes on this yeah particular team especially after the wear and tear of the season and the injuries that they've had and all and all that kind of stuff and the opt-outs there's just too many holes I, I don't care what kind of defense you run I don't care what kind of passing game you call it's not going to work with the players that they have out well, there right you now. had no Bentley tonight you had no guy okay right right no guy yeah now you're down uh uh uh, 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 uh Devin McCourty left the game yeah uh, and obviously Gilmore's out already. Now you're looking at being uh, David Andrews, who was dealing with a calf injury, uh, also left the game. Shaq Mason left the game. You're looking at a really depleted team heading into Week 17. So They're probably gonna, the Jets are playing much better football, and, and the, the Jets are playing right great. Now. So again, yeah. for the ta for the tankers out there, so Patriots have now moved into the 13 slot. Okay, from where they are right now, if they were to lose and go to six and ten, it's possible they could get passed by a couple other teams and end up, I think, as low as ten. Right. I think maybe 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 they can't even. I think they can even get to nine. I think they can get to nine. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean that that's the best case scenario at this point, right? Is is just to finish with a ninth or tenth pick, something like that, would at least put them in position to maybe draft one of the big four quarterbacks if that's what they so choose. Are you assuming all four? Again, we've talked about this before. Are you assuming with with what would Mac Jones be the fourth? So I, I'm not assuming anything. I Look, I, I think the biggest question marks going into the draft, Trey Lance only played one game this entire season. It was a bad one for him, too. It, he was erratic with the football, poor accuracy. He ran all over the defense at Central Arkansas or something like that. Uh, ran all over him, uh, Cam Newton style. But it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good passing performance from, uh, from Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance got a great arm. I think he's got a great mold of clay. But he's a type of guy sort of like a Josh Allen. Like a Josh Allen. You, you yeah. think you hope is going to turn into that type of guy someday, but Allen is really a, a 10% chance that he was going to turn into the player he's turned into. The vast majority of the Josh Allens end up being busts and, and, and bust out of the league um, because teams are too impatient and stuff like that. But Trey Lance, I think, has the highest ceiling of any of the quarterbacks that could be interested in. The big thing about Zach Wilson is going to be how he uh, performs in the off-field stuff, the interviews, uh, the background checks and stuff like that. He comes from a very affluent family. I'm going to say this, and uh, sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. But work ethic with a lot of those types of quarterbacks is something that teams really do hone in on. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the things I'm hearing. The Josh Rosen situation. It reminds me a ton. I was just about to say that. It reminds me a ton of the Josh Rosen situation yeah. where, it, you know, it's just a guy Plus that he loves football. Right. Does he question. need football? Because he's he smart. Because he had other interests right. outside of football. Because he was a well-rounded human. The, right. the knock was, well, he doesn't eat, sleep, and drink football. And as it turns right. out, whether that was the reason why, he was a double washout, you know, with the with the first two teams that, that took a shot I, at him. I think it honestly ended up being the case in a lot of ways, you know, if you don't put Josh Allen has gotten to this point of his career and has turned his his uh, statistical career around in year three, at least because he is one of those guys that wakes up at 4.30 a.m. and shows up to the stadium and he's always in the film room yeah. and he's always in the coach's ears. And they knew that the Bills did their homework on the guy and they knew that that's how he was like in college. They expected that type of work ethic when he came here. And right. that's exactly what we've seen out of Josh Allen since he's progressed with the Bills. If Zach Wilson doesn't have that sort of mentality, then I think there is a chance that talent-wise, he's probably you know closer to a top eight, top ten, five pick in this draft. Maybe he does slip to ten or eleven if teams vet him and decide that he's not you know that type of worker. But if he's not that type of worker, then I don't know if you want him in New England either. Uh, Justin Fields certainly is going to be in the mix for a lot of people. Uh, he's had you know sort of a setback in that last game for Ohio State against Northwestern, but he, he looks like he's somebody that could um, you know, be a dual threat, that can do a little bit of everything. He, he's a decent chance uh, at having a successful NFL career. And then you sort of get into the Mac Joneses and the Kyle Trasks, and I think those guys are, are outside the top 10, maybe even back after the first round uh, in some of those cases, just because of uh, ceiling and arm talent and all the, those uh, types of things that you look for in an early round QB. Yep. Well, all right. I'm going to be the one that says it. Yep. This guy. <laughs> you had the, you had it ready. You had it ready. You had it queued up. So you look, sometimes the answer no is all people need to hear. But yeah. in the world of, you know, you know, this is how this is how things operate. Any single person becomes free. You you assess whether or not 
you take a shot. There is something that's very intriguing about first round talent. I don't care what position. It's doubly intriguing when that person is a quarterback, considering that you're the Patriots. This is a person who was drafted 15th overall a year ago, who the 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 who some people had going as high as six, and I, maybe you're not a fan at all. Some people had going as high as six to the Giants who reached for Daniel Jones. You know, that was the, the dangerous pick there. Haskins is a, by trade, and at least his pedigree coming out of college was an accurate pocket passer uh, who could stand up, step up in the pocket, move around, get the ball out quickly, accurate, had a big arm, lots of types of things that you would look for and the Patriots tend to look for in quarterbacks, but everything we've seen on the field isn't remotely close to that guy. So based on the snapshot you've gotten from Dwayne Haskins, you want nothing to do with this. No, and I think, you know, if it comes, obviously the, the first thing that comes up is the work ethic stuff with what he was ha- dealing with the Washington And I'm not saying I do either. I just and- want you to say it for the people. Yeah. I think, but when you look at the biggest thing for me with Dwayne Haskins, more so than any of that stuff, is that he was in an absolutely perfect environment at Ohio State. Ohio State, when Dwayne Haskins was there, Terry McLaurin, who's now obviously on the Washington football team, also is a Pro Bowl level receiver, was like their wide receiver three on the depth chart there at Ohio State in Haskins' last year. They were absolutely, they had Pim, they had Paris Campbell, yeah. uh, they were absolutely loaded at the skill position players, and all Haskins had to do was stand in a very clean pocket because nobody would touch him all game long because their offensive line was a darn good as well and just get the ball out and and throw it to his playmakers and not screw up and all of a sudden you know he has all of this you know kind of uh, production right just insane level production that last season at Ohio State but I don't see a thrower and I've never really seen a thrower that anticipates a whole lot of ball throws and uh, makes a lot of uh doesn't make a ton of touch throws down the field either. I'm actually pulling up his uh, 2019, my, my scouting report on him from the 2019 draft. And some of my things that I had first were, uh, you know, his front side flies open, which means that it's just a mechanical thing that leads to inaccuracies. Uh, doesn't anticipate, uh, needs better feel for touch throws. You know, those are the types of things that if you're not, if you're looking for the next guy in this offense, I mean, that doesn't exactly fit the bill of what the Patriots want. And I think that's the other big thing too, is Cam was a, a fine flyer, right? That that was a fine decision at that time and everything to kind of go and make a flyer on it. But at the same time, now I think you need to really look at what are you going to see in this offense moving forward? Is it going to be still this Brady, you know, type of get the ball out, throw it on time, make anticipatory throws, be accurate with the football? If that's it, then you need to draft a guy that fits that bill, or even acquire a guy that fits that bill. That's definitely not Dwayne Haskins. I'll just ask. I'll just ask if Dwayne Haskins had been drafted by the Patriots, would you give up on him this quickly? if he did, was doing the stuff that he was doing off the field and going to strip clubs during COVID and without a mask on and all, all that type of stuff and not showing up for meetings. And, and yes, I, I think I would, but if he was playing the way he was playing on the field without all of that rest of that stuff, then, then maybe not, you know, it, it, maybe we're having a different discussion. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, to me, the only enticing thing is if, I mean, one, even if you take him up on waivers, you're talking about $4.75 million guaranteed, which is not a ton of money. Uh, I wouldn't so, I wouldn't pay him that. If they're going to pick him up. Realistically, you're talking about him clearing waivers and then just taking a flyer for nothing. Um, and if that happens, a flyer for nothing is a flyer for nothing. That, that's, that's, that's all. 
is it, these are lottery tickets. These aren't. Do you I do. I do agree that I would like in camp next year to see a Dwayne Haskins type quarterback on the on the roster in training camp. You know, a, a reclamation project, right? A Dwayne Haskins, a Josh Rosen, you know, somebody like that who has some high upside, who was maybe a former first round pick or something like that. And Not you situation them as much as as much as their ability. You know, you with quarterbacks more than anything, I think situation is huge. You know, meaning you you have you've seen how many quarterbacks under one regime or one system looked completely lost that you'd given up on them and then they get somewhere else and you're like, oh, they can play. I guess it was just you just end up in the wrong place and it can really derail your career right at the start. Yeah. Haskins might not be one of those guys. It's very likely he's not. But again, it's the situation matters. Right. And I, I agree with that. I, I just I would like I said, I would like to see if he's your third quarterback, if he's your fourth quarterback in camp, you give him some reps with the second team. Maybe you play him in some of the preseason games at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, see what he has. That's perfectly fine. But you're not going to invest in a guy like Dwayne Haskins to be any sort of part of the future or the answer or anything like that. You definitely need to find somebody that's better than that to to hit your wagon to in terms of the starter. Okay, people are anxious to ask some questions. So if you guys want to ask any, Evan any questions before we uh, uh, take off here, once again, letting everybody know. Patriots post-game show, losing 38-9 to to the Bills. Cam Newton was bad. Uh, Jared Stidham was bad. The defense was bad. Everybody was bad. Sony Michelle, I'll say this, one positive thing. Sony Michelle looks like a different human being since he came off IR. He really it's does. amazing what uh, some competition will do for a player, right? But I, I don't know if it's – it's hard to say, Evan. We don't have the access we normally have to these guys. You just don't see them as much on a regular right. basis because of all of the COVID restrictions. Practice uh, is limited. Um, but he looks lighter to me. He looks quicker. Um, he, you know, He's had periods in his time where he's been a tad bulky – for 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 his frame and and looked a little slow and plotting and his jump yeah. through the line uh, and certainly decisiveness but even when he's running through holes he's just hitting them quicker and he's getting yeah. into the secondary which is something he never did or he hasn't done since his rookie year really I don't know if he's necessarily burstier than he was before, but he's definitely more decisive. Or conviction, right? whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Right, he's definitely more decisive, and he's seeing the hole develop a little bit faster, and he's hitting it harder, and he's getting you know into that what we would call in phase for any player where you're in the, the rush path that you're supposed to be in. He's in that much faster and making his decisions much quicker behind the line of scrimmage. You know, most running backs, it depends on the play call, but most running backs have about one to three steps to make a read, especially if you're running something like outside zone or something like that. It's one, two cut, right? You do, you can't stand there in the back of the, of the line of scrimmage and kind of hold there and kind of do what you want to do right and and that's definitely a, a difference that i think we've seen out of sony is that he's really on that third step he's made a decision and he's through the line at that point okay let's um let's evan let's go rapid fire here as i throw up some questions uh for you because you know we'll try to get to a few um we did talk about uh evan you're writing about this, Evan, and we're going to do some videos um, yeah. on our Patriots YouTube channel. So if you haven't already, uh, please subscribe to that. Um, just plow through here a list of keepers. 
Yeah, so I, I think that there's three keepers, at least on that, uh, uh, in this rookie class, the 2020 rookie class. I think Duggar, Uche, Michael Onwenu will be a part of the next good Patriots team. I'm not going to say great because I don't know if we're, how long we're going to have until then. But the next, you know, good Patriots team, I think those three guys will be on that team. What uh, did you say, Duggar, Uche, and who? And uh, Michael Onwenu. Yeah, uh, maybe Harris. Yeah, oh, 2019 class has gone there. Is uh, is Damian Harris certainly is going to be on the team? I think moving forward, I think Jacoby Myers is pretty much the only wide receiver that has earned a roster spot going into next season for me. I think everybody else has got to prove it to me. Notably point. absent, Nikhil Harry. Yeah. He's right in that list of prove it to me. And I, I would put Chase Winovich on that list as well. Winovich, when he pins his ears back and rushes the passer, is great, but that's all he can do. I like know? him less and less as the, as the season goes on. You you really see how limited he is. Uh, yeah. and, and almost sometimes what a detriment he can be on the field uh, because of just blowing assignments. Not, not He's yeah. just out of place. But all right, let's whip through here. We've talked about this before. Uh, Jimmy G, one of those quarterbacks. You don't know if they're going to have a home in San Francisco. Uh, you don't know what a quarterback like Jimmy um, is going to make in the open market or whether or not the Patriots want him back. I, I, I'm going to answer for Evan and say no because he's made of glass. No, because he's made of glass, but it would not surprise me at all if Bill brings him back because that has been that's been Bill's succession plan all along, right? That that was truly Bill's succession plan all along, and it would not shock me at all if if he goes and uh, gets Jimmy G back and brings him back and tries to make it work with Jimmy G next year. It just seems like that was sort of the one that got away from Bill Belichick, and I think he will be. I don't think he'll give up on it if he doesn't have to. Or Jacoby. I, I would probably rather, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I think Jacoby started a, a couple games in Indianapolis was that last year and looked fine in some of those games. Definitely the downfield ball placement was impressive. He's actually a pretty good deep ball thrower uh, in those starts that he made. Uh, but I, I think either one of those guys is maybe in the same kind of level of talent, a level of tier. But in terms of the fit in the Patriots offense, I, I've always kind of thought that Jimmy G was a little bit better in that system. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, again, this is, we know why this is a complex question, but really at the root of it, I think is a lot of people, uh, you know, there's a lot of people angry with Bill, the GM uh, versus Bill, the coach, where I find this conversation to be really interesting and sticky is Bill Belichick is unquestionably the greatest coach in, 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 in the NFL and NFL history, possibly in sports. It, it doesn't matter what, his coaching acumen, uh, his ability to get everybody prepared for every situation, it, it, we don't have to go over it, okay? The problem is uh, because of the dual job, he has to be the best at both, not just because he's providing Bill the coach. Bill, you know, It's always Bill the GM is screwing Bill the coach, which is an overrated thing that you know, is, is thrown around a lot and has been proven wrong a lot. But the issue that I find most interesting here, Evan, is that if you did feel, if you separated the personalities and felt, if, if ownership felt that Bill the GM was slipping, you can't do anything about that. Regardless of how good Bill the coach is, if you did feel that one of the two jobs needed to be addressed, you have to move on from Bill Belichick entirely, and you can't do that. So you're going to accept Bill, Bill the duality. You're going to accept both Bills because there isn't one without the other. Um, it just doesn't work. You can't say, Bill, maybe you need some personnel help. Unless, of course... 
he re comes to a, has a moment of clarity and he says, you know what? I've been seeing things one way for a while. The game's changing a bit. I'm going to lean on people more than I do, more than I have in the past. And it's possible he could kind of come to that conclusion on his own. But that that's what would have to happen for Bill to not be the end-all, be-all decision-maker GM. I think the biggest thing with that, my biggest gripe with Bill the GM is not necessarily as deep as it is for some other people, but my biggest gripe with Bill the GM is that he's been drafting one way for so long at this point because he had Tom Brady. So right. everybody else around, when he goes into a draft, he's not, I don't think that Bill necessarily goes into a draft and looks for that stud blue chip difference-making type of player. We're not talking about a guy that's going to come in and fill a role. We're talking about a Pro Bowl, All-Pro type of talent, a transcendent type of player. I think for, for years, he knew that he had the quarterback, he had Brady, and all he had to do was kind of just fill the roles and fit that fit his scheme. Draft players that fit what they want one guy to do, particularly in the entire puzzle piece. Now I think he needs to be, you know, similar to how I always say, you know, you see the forest through the trees with the scheming and stuff like that. He needs to see the forest through the trees and realize it's not about finding a bunch of different role players and fitting them all together underneath Brady anymore. Now they need to go out there and find four or five guys outside of Stephon Gilmore, how and heck has Jake Bailey punting the football? What does this team have? You know, who is the blue chip player on this team? Who is the stud player on offense right now? Who is the stud player on defense right now outside of Gilmore? I guess maybe you can argue that the stud players on offense are on their offensive line, but they need skill talent and quarterbacks that are studs, not not left guards. Right. And I love Joe Tooney, but that that's not he's not moving the needle in terms of the wins and losses of the team. So that, that's what I think is the biggest difference is that he needs to approach it a little bit differently and see, OK, we can't just make a whole up team a bunch out of a bunch of role players. Right. We need to make it you know, start from the beginning and work on our blue chip top five talent. Because ultimately, if you look across the board, across the NFL and you put the the 10 best players on the Patriots against the 10 best players on every other team in the league. I mean, where do the Patriots rank in that ranking? I mean, it's gotta be extremely low. That's the group of players that they need to work on. I think that they have guys that can fill roles and guys that can do what the Patriots do right outside of the top tier talent, but they don't have a Brady. They don't have a Gronkowski. They only have one Gilmore that that's what you really need to see him change his draft strategy. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is for however many years, it's just been, I know a good football football player when I see one but right you know it could be the the game has evolved the game is the, the system is different there's just a lot of factors right now where right or wrong um that there's more misses than hits right now um because I think that they're really asking a lot of they're expecting you know they're drafting a guy like a Josh Uche for example to come in here and play like a third down sub rusher type of role but now they need J Josh Uche to they need starters to, right they need him to be the starting yeah, outside linebacker why, instead of just a, a third down pressure right. outside Bill's the only guy drafting people for situational roles in the second and third round including special teams as opposed to I need impact players because I need better talent everywhere right um uh, speaking of uh, drafting, uh, I did have one here. Uh, if you had it again, uh, Jeremy Chin or Kyle Duggar, I'll throw Winfield in there too. 
Winfield is another, that's sort of, you know, I, I got to be consistent with my argument, I suppose. So Winfield's the brand name, right? He's got a, a father who was in the NFL. He right. played at a power five school. He was all, uh, I, I always forget the conferences, all, all big 12 or whatever Minnesota yeah. is in, you know, he was the, the blue chip prospect, right? right? He was the guy that did it against great competition and Duggar was sort of the project player. So I, Jeremy Chin versus Duggar, I think we're splitting hairs because both of those guys sit fit in the same mold of as as like kind of a, a, mold, a ball a of hybrid play, yeah right from an fcs school that you were kind of looking to you know take a yeah. chance on that talent and that athleticism whereas a guy like winfield was a proven power commodity. five the consensus top ranked safety there on the board right too. and that is sort of i think where the patriots need to go back towards and ultimately i would really wonder um, what the Patriots' last couple of drafts would look like if Bill had let Nick Casario run the board instead of himself. Because a lot of the decisions that I feel like Bill Belichick has made recently are based off of what Bill sees when he starts the draft process in January and not based off of what the scouts on the ground are saying. The scouts on the ground did not tell you to take Kyle Duggar over Antoine Winfield Jr., the scouts on the ground did not tell you to take Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and Debo Samuel and go back on, on that train, right? That's not exactly, that's not what anybody was saying. So I, I wonder what the board would have looked like, what these couple of drafts would have looked like if Casario was running things instead of Bill Belichick. And the commenter here asks, how do you know he's not leaning on Casario? I know he's leaning on Casario in terms of the homework. Helping right? to build the board. Right. But when it comes down, and this is this is again, you know, a, a fairly known thing in Patriot circles, it does come down a lot of times to his guy, my guy, this guy, and right. Bill has the final say, and 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 it's very rare, if not ever, that he says, "All right, we'll go with that guy," you know, yeah. and he goes off the board, he goes off the grid sometimes, even when the board dictates, "This is what I want," and is like, "But I, I, this is the, this is my guy," you know, right. so it. That's that happens. Um, let's see. Uh, anything else we want to talk about here in the questions? I'm still looking around, Evan. Uh, I'll ask you here and again. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about it, and again, a lot of people saying Bill doesn't like speed. Take down my Christmas tree. What do you mean? When do people take down their Love Christmas the tree? tree? Love the Christmas tree. Don't you go? Isn't isn't the standard you go till the new year? Yeah, some people are different than others. You know, some are like get this thing out of my house right away. No, you, you keep it at least till New Year's. I like it. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh. Tight end. Uh. We 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 did um uh, talk about I, I, a lot of people have pits as a guy um who could get there. Um. They're picking nine. They they have a real chance at and pit. they got a yeah. shot. Uh, in terms of free agents, here's another one. You've got Henry, uh, Jonu Smith, perhaps. Is there anybody out there you think uh, Henry? I've seen tied to the Patriots a bit. I don't know why. Just because he's available. Him. Bill loves him. Bill Bill gushed about him. Yeah. Said he's watched him since high school because he watches that high school program that uh, Hunter Henry went to. Um, you know, it's a whole Bill Belichick love fest. I think Hunter Henry is their typical why. He's a guy that can block, put his hand in the dirt, be yeah. that sixth offensive lineman, and run routes and get open and things like that. Jonu Smith, I love too as sort of that Swiss Army knife, but you sort of have to use him correctly. He's not, you know, you're just a traditional why like a Hunter Henry that's just gonna, you know, plug into that 
that position in your offense and go. The Titans really do a ton of different scheme stuff with Johnny Smith to use his abilities and use his run after catch abilities in particular. Tim Patrick is a player that screams Patriots at me because he's going to be in that sort of second tier free agent wide receiver. He's a restricted free agent. So you have to sign similar situation to an Emmanuel Sanders type of thing with the Patriots all those years back where they – I think that that's sort of the secondary market that they'd be more comfortable at spending at that wide receiver position. And he's extremely underrated. Uh, X receiver can play on the outside. He's basically what they were hoping Nikhil Harry was going to be. He would be the Nikhil Harry, uh, you know, ceiling, so to speak. And I think that that would be a player that they would be very interested in. I would love to see Tim Patrick in like a Brandon LaFell type of role in this offense at X. All right, my my boy, Yorgo Ikonomu. My, my Greek pal here. Um, who would you like to see the Patriots draft? Let's let's go with the scenarios. Worst case scenario, 15. Best case scenario, 9 or 10. Um, at 9 or 10, dream scenario, who do you want to see available? And then, and then if not, who are you hoping for at 15? I think at 9 or 10, you know, I would like to think that you're starting to flirt with Zach Wilson a little bit. And, yeah. and that would definitely be my top quarterback outside of Trevor Lawrence for the Patriots. I just think that he fits the, his accuracy. He reminds me a little bit of Baker Mayfield. And I think that that's sort of the type of quarterback that would fit in nicely here in terms of, uh, you know, how he throws the ball down the field, how he responds to pressure. He doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. You know, those are the types of things that uh, I think that the Patriots really look for, but I do sort of like the strategy and I've kind of been floating this one around there too, of taking the best position player available at their, first pick and then finding a way to get into that you know uh mac uh, jones uh, kyle trask type of range at the end of the first round uh to sneak back up whether it's trading gilmore or a package of picks or whatever to sneak back up so you take you know a a guy a stud player at nine or ten maybe it's kyle pitts maybe it's marvin wilson from florida state the defensive tackle maybe it's uh, michael parsons uh, from penn state falls a linebacker something like that and then you go and get your quarterback in you know the back half of the first round or early second round or something like that okay um we might uh we might be wrapping it up here uh, I, i'm not gonna there's a lot of people here looking at the receiver situation uh, we've talked about this before but you're looking at potentially uh, you know a class that has galladay it has alan robinson a great, it's a great class uh quite a few options i know you like alan robinson the best um, I'm worried based on his late season production and the Mitch Trubisky resurgence. That's going to, he might be the priciest guy at this point. Um, uh, of that lot, Galladay is a bit of damaged goods and you're looking at a full rebuild in, in, uh, in Detroit. Uh, who do you think, I, I, again, who, who do you think fits? Who do you think is, again, this just isn't the Patriot way. I, I hate using that term, but yeah. it's just not something they do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't see them going out there and, and breaking that mold and spending $18 million on a receiver. And I think that a lot of people rightfully so have talked about guys like Stefan Diggs and Deandre Hopkins and those types of players that have moved uh, in the last couple of off seasons and said, Hey, you know, why, why didn't the Patriots get in on those guys? I, I truly don't think that they are going to spend that type of money at that position. So with that being said, I think you're looking at that secondary wide receiver market. Somebody like a Corey Davis might get, a little bit too pricey for them, but I think that he's sort of at the top of their market. I mentioned Tim Patrick as a guy that I would like to uh, be involved in, in terms of the negotiations on an RFA deal. Uh, Will Fuller, 
depending on the quarterback that you have, might be in the conversation. Uh, Corey, uh, Curtis Samuel, I think if you know how to use him properly, can be effective, but that comes into a usage issue. And he's also a Z receiver, not a true X. So you're going to have to do something with Jacoby Myers at that point. And, and you're not getting that true boundary outside guy if you draft, if you assign a guy like a Curtis Samuel. I'm not sure really if OBJ is necessarily the answer for them. But I do love him as a player and think that he would be great here. Uh, and I think that Bill if, knows he's great. Yeah, if there's anything left there. Uh, I'll take this last one. Um, and again, uh, and again, it was 23, not 26. But the question being, you know, at, at 23, uh, Kenneth Murray was drafted. Instead, you go Duggar and Anthony. This is exactly going back to that whole blue chipper sort right. of uh, debate. A- again, at 22 was Justin Jefferson, which um, – Again, is he might be might be the best rookie receiver in the in in, in the class here. I, I have, for my own sanity's sake, I have to think that the Patriots were going to take Jefferson at twenty three before the the Vikings made that pick. If, because if they if they weren't going to do that, then I think all a lot of hope is lost with them evaluating that position. Because yeah. just from a stylistic standpoint, the college tape, the college production. I mean, he checked. Every single box is inside, outside. Yeah, just yeah. Need a, just a dynamic separator. I mean, just yeah. an awesome route runner. So uh, if they were going to take him at twenty three, and you and you remember that the draft call where they made the trade back in the draft, you did hear Bill say, "Oh, okay, uh, you know they took uh, Justin Jefferson at twenty two, and Bill said to Nick Casario, "Okay, make make the call to make the trade out of twenty three. So I, I wanted to hope that Justin Jefferson was going to be. I, I'm not losing any sleep about mo- losing Kenneth Murray, though. You know, I think he's a decent player, but. I, I thought he was kind of a overrated prospect, sort of tools-based prospect that they were hoping was going to splash in the NFL. I don't think that he's any more of an impact player than Kyle Duggar is. So the path to the top 10 pick, lose to the Jets, Broncos, Cowboys, Chargers, and Vikings all win. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that they can get in there. And I think if they do get in there, like I said, it's premium position, premium player Give me somebody that everybody can say, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, that, that pick makes sense by the Patriots here. That's a good pick. Vikings, by Lions, winnable. Yep. Cowboys, Giants, absolutely winnable. Um, you're looking at Chargers, Chiefs. If the Chiefs rest everybody, they've got nothing to play for. I also want to mention, I see a lot of people saying, why would a wide receiver come here with the way that, you know, the Patriots are set up? Uh, money talks, people. Money talks a loud game, and if the Patriots are going out there and they're offering Davis or Tim Patrick or Curtis Samuel or Chris Godwin or whoever it ends up being, they offer him a big bag of money, then I, I don't think a lot of people care a whole lot about um, the rest of the situation in a lot of circumstances. And, and I, I'm sure that they are a little bit more confident that Bill Belichick than some of the fans here that uh, Bill will be able to move up and uh, get some quarterback help and stuff like that. For Julian's sake, because he's a loyalist here, I will repeat that. The way to get into that top 10, I believe, is uh, lose to the Jets, Broncos, Cowboys, Chargers, Vikings all win. A lot of winnable games on that slate. So if you look at it again, uh, the Patriots could climb. That might get them inside. That might get them to nine, I think, or 10. Regardless, that's um, – that's, uh, that puts you in, in that puts you in the quarterback conversation um yeah. and that then things start to get really interesting um there so we'll see what happens and again it's it's always interesting is you have quarterbacks that slide 
and you think they're going to go, or you have drafts where the mock drafts have the the fourth quarterback going at 15, 16, 17, and then everybody freaks out and they go four of the first eight picks. So you just never know if you're there. You don't know if your guy is there, and you don't know if the guy that they want is going to be there when when it's their turn to pick. So the good news is too is that it's so much easier to trade up from like eleven to eight if you have to, right? Right, because people eight. like the player at eleven about as much as eight. If you're looking at the first 15, 16 players, they're all studs. You know the right. the, the things start to get a little mixed in the same once you get into the twenties. Right, so it's much easier to make that trade up. The Bills traded up twice. They traded up from 21 to 12 to seven to take Josh Allen. But when they traded from 12 to seven, all they gave up was uh, two future second round picks. You know, we're not talking about an RG three type of package where they gave up six picks to move up a couple of spots, right? It was just a couple of picks to move up. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap it. Um, uh, Evan's got to get, get writing, get a writing. And, um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have a ton of stuff hitting our YouTube channel coming up in a little bit. Um, you can always uh, check that out. Patriots Press Pass. Some of you have already subscribed. If you haven't, please do so. You'll get notified every time we go live for situations like this. Um, and uh, we'll have a bunch of videos coming out after the game again tomorrow. Evan will take a look at the film, and you know we'll we'll you know. Yeah, you you know what it's going to show, but we're going to do it anyway because that's that's what that's what that's what. That's what he gets paid to do. <laughs> uh, 